someone who works with our radio show, Bianca Gaver, went to this presentation at Columbia University a while back where two people on stage puzzled over this thing they had found online called Wake Up Now. And I say thing they found online because the whole point of their presentation was it was hard to tell exactly what it was. Why do some people live their lives in black and white while others seem to live in vibrant color? Well, part of it is knowing a secret, a secret that changes how people see the world. This video is your invitation to Wake Up Now. This is a video that was on Wake Up Now's uh, website, which just looked like a kind of generic, corporate website. And Wake Up Now seemed to be a company, but it was hard to tell exactly what the company did. The site talked about joining, about becoming a member, about living a better life. So was it a club? Was it an organization? And then when you Googled Wake Up Now, there were tons of videos. Bianca saw some at the presentation at Columbia, and then after the presentation, she started Googling on her own. And then she sucked one of our producers, Brian Reed, into the vortex with her. Here's one of the videos they found. Hey, we're here in Cancun with the greatest team in the world. Wake up now. You should have been here. All the leaders are here. We're having fun. It's a beautiful island. This is a video of a bunch of young people hanging out on the beach. You can see jet skis in the ocean. In the video, they refer to this as a leadership summit. And there was a whole genre of videos just like this. People in exotic occasions, riding around in nice-looking cars, or in this one, spelunking in a cave in Mexico, chanting. That is, of course, Wake Up Now with La Bamba. And then there were a lot of videos with the word scam in the title, like Wake Up Now is a scam for real exposed truth. And so these two producers and our staff are like, oh, so this is some kind of internet scam. But then when they watched the videos, it seemed very different. Like, take this one, for example, titled Wake Up Now Warning, Don't Join Until You See This. Wake Up Now is one of the most legitimate companies out there. The reason why is because... So, Wake Up Now Warning, Don't Join Till You See This is actually not a warning at all, but entirely about how great Wake Up Now is. And in fact, there were so many videos like this. A video called Five Reasons Not to Join Wake Up Now offered not a single reason why not to join Wake Up Now, but instead went on to describe what a super awesome company it is. So I'm joined in the studio right now by the two producers who were watching all these videos, Brian and Bianca. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. So at that point, as best as you could tell, what was Wake Up Now? I mean, we honestly didn't know. Like, we couldn't figure it out. Um, you know, we eventually put some research in. We learned that later, like, this move, the scam thing. You mean labeling videos such and such as a scam? Yeah, exactly that. Like, and then it, having it not actually talk about it being a scam. Um, so that's like, that's a move, I guess, that like some people who are involved with certain companies or selling certain products will do. Like, that's a thing, I guess. But I'd never seen a video like that before, and it was really confusing. I mean, in so many of these Wake Up Now videos, we could tell people were pitching something. But as far as we could tell, it wasn't a product. Build a bank, So what is this? This is a video of a guy who calls himself Panama, and it's titled Wake Up Now Scam, Lend a Hand, Build a Man, Woman. What are you doing? Eating carrots? Tomatoes? Papa? Arroz con pollo? Arroz con guandu? Arroz con carimayola? So, yeah, it wasn't really clear what Wake Up Now was. But still, there were hundreds of these videos. It was like this whole subculture with all these people, about thousands of people. 
Okay, so then I know what happened next is that you found out that Wake Up Now had a conference coming yeah. up, right? Yeah, and we went to try and figure out what this was. Yeah, and what we eventually found out is that it's something called network marketing. It's a network marketing company. Um, but also what we found out is that that is a very bland term for something completely mind-blowing, way beyond anything we could have imagined. But today on our radio program, Wake Up Now. If nothing else, I have to say that is a completely genius name for a company. It promises so much so efficiently that you'll open your eyes, your life will be totally different, totally better. And so today, as New Year's approaches, as lots of people take stock of who they've been and make resolutions about who they want to be, we have stories of people in very different contexts who try to wake up and wake up others. Stay with us. Taekwon, something's happening here and you don't know what it is. So, Brian and Bianca headed to Wake Up Now's conference in New York City at a hotel in Times Square to try to figure out what this was. Here they are, Brian and Bianca. I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but even after being at this conference for several hours, if you put a gun to my head and asked me what Wake Up Now is, what it does, I still don't think I could have told you. We talked to dozens of participants, and what we learned is that people were incredibly excited about something they weren't terribly good at explaining. Why do Wake Up Now? This is a new beginning for the new generation. What is it? I don't even know what it is. Oh, is this a software company? It's a software company, you said? I think. People had come from all over, East Coast, Minnesota, California. They were mostly young and mostly people of color. They called Wake Up Now a lifestyle. They talked about one life, W-U-N, for Wake Up Now. For the longest time, I couldn't even figure out what to call the hundreds of people at this conference. Were they customers of Wake Up Now, employees, card-carrying members? Whatever they were, some of them could list specific Wake Up Now products. And the product is? Uh, Wake and Thunder. What's Wake and Thunder? Awake and Thunder. What is that? An energy drink. Oh, so you're selling an energy drink. We're not selling it. You can buy it. I just So are you guys going to work for the company or you're buying the product? Well, we don't have to buy the product. So what you do is you just go around and spread the word about it. But do, are you selling an energy drink, though? I'm, I'm confused. No, we don't, we don't, we don't have to sell it. it. The company offers it for you. It's exclusive only for the people that are in Wake Up Now. So there are products, and these people encouraged other people to buy them. But when we tried to use the word selling, we were corrected. Yeah, I mean, I don't like saying selling. I like using uh, providing. I provide people with it. <laughs> Do they pay you money in exchange? No, not really. Get, I get commission from it. That's about it. Awaken Thunder Energy Drink was not the only thing Wake Up Now was not selling but providing. People seemed to be listing a totally random assortment of products. Lots of things people said Wake Up Now offered were just discounts. Off their AT&T phone bills, purchases at Office Depot, on groceries. We have the Shivani's. What are those? They're like lotion skin products. And then we have the coffee. We have cyber protection. Have you ever wanted to learn a lot of the language? Well, we have a program that has 80 languages, similar to Rosetta Stone. There's a vacation club. For example, I'm going to Florida. Hotel's usually $1,100. I'm going to pay $290 for the whole week, a condo. There's tax software. Uh, most people can increase their tax deduction by three dollars to $6,000 per year just by using the tax bot alone. 
But in this sea of hard to understand information and unrelated products, one thing everyone seemed to agree on, Wake Up Now had a mission. Wake Up Now actually is a financial wellness company showing people how to save, manage, and make money. In fact, so many people recited this mission so precisely, it was actually a bit weird. People save money, manage money, and make money. Save money, make money, manage your money. Save, manage, and make money. Save money, manage money, and make more money. Save, manage, and make money at the same time. It took us all day, and honestly, quite a bit more research afterwards, including signing up ourselves, which was really complicated, to piece together how Wake Up Now works. Like I said earlier, they're a network marketing company. And if you haven't heard that term, you've probably heard of Amway or Herbalife or Newskin, companies where you sell things to people you know. That's network marketing. When you join Wake Up Now, you get access to a place on their website called The Hub, which is where you can purchase many of the products and services we heard about. You can join for free, but you're encouraged to sign up on a plan where you pay between $80 and $150 a month. You pay more money, you get more stuff, like the financial management and tax software. So that's the saving money and managing money part of Wake Up Now. As for the making money part, you can make money by recruiting other people to join Wake Up Now. They buy stuff, you can earn commission. They recruit people, you make money off that too. A chain forms below you. That's the network in network marketing. Get three people to join, you get a hundred bucks. If each of them gets three people to join, that's when the real money kicks in, about 600 a month. There are other ways to earn that money, but that's the one we saw them push. I know, this may sound like a pyramid scheme. Whether it is one though would have to be decided by the courts. We called the Federal Trade Commission, and a spokesman said figuring out if a network marketing company is a pyramid scheme is very difficult and takes a long investigation. The FTC's website says a good tip-off that a network marketing company might be a pyramid scheme is that members earn more money for recruiting new members than for selling products to the public. Wake Up Now's chief marketing officer told us that 100% of the company's profits come from product sales. But when you pay a monthly fee to join, they consider that a product. He said Wake Up Now is absolutely not a pyramid scheme. For now, though, Wake Up Now members are charging forth, recruiting more and more people into the company, and apparently getting paid a boatload to do it. Boom, boom, boom. You just watch probably 500K a month walk by you. This guy's pointing at a group of otherwise ordinary looking people. He's talking about all their salaries added together. 500K a month? 500K a month just walk by you under 25 years old. This company is making history, actually. This company is creating the largest amount of under 30-year-old six-figure earners that I've ever seen. Look, six-figure earner, six-figure earner. People loved pointing out all the Wake Up Now magnates among us. In our first few minutes at the conference, I saw this big bearded man. Someone else called him, quote, a freaking duck hunter guy, which seemed like an apt description. People lined up to take pictures with him. Someone nearby told me why. My boy right here is making 114 a month right now, 114,000. 114,000? dollars a month. His name? Seymour Green. That's S-E-E-M-O-R-E, -E, Green. Seymour's the top earner in Wake Up Now. He's been doing it a year, he's 25. Everybody knew who he was and how much he allegedly made. Later in the day, Wake Up Now gave Seymour Green an award for being number one. Seymour, 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 Seym
A woman near me says, he's a regular dude. He's wearing a t-shirt. You would never know. You would never know. Never know, right? Another thing we encountered at the conference was a repulsion to something so unsavory, so unseemly, that Wake Up Now's MC for the day couldn't even bear to speak the word aloud. So he spelled it out instead. There are so many people at a J-O-B that are bored. There's no reason to be just another one of them. J-O-B. Quick warning, I'm going to say the word right now. Job. When you go into a store and you run into an employee with a J-O-B and you can see it in their face, there's no energy because they're not invested in what they're doing. It's not their business. I'm looking at a room full of people who care because it's their business. It's their future. It's their. That is why I love this industry. This dissatisfaction with nine to fives ran deep through the crowd. Take this paralegal. How does she describe her job? It's a soul-sucking, like, life-destroying, sit at a desk all day and get fat, waste of life. She told me that as soon as her income from Wake Up Now inches above her current salary, she's out of there. It could be like a dollar more than I'm making now. I'm quitting. <laughs> like, literally a dollar. Okay, I quit. I'm not coming in ever. Of course, lots of jobs do suck. A surprising number of attendees at the conference told us they were planning on quitting to pursue Wake Up Now. These appeared to be people with steady, full-time E-M-P-L-O-Y-M-E-N-T, a compliance manager at a big bank, a human resources person at Coca-Cola. And we also met people who'd actually done it. One person quit a restaurant, another quit his sales job at Samsung. Plus, there was this guy. Antonio, unemployable Johnson. He quit his job two years ago. Now he has a motto. Friends don't let friends get jobs. It's clear why lots of people would want to leave their current lousy jobs. What's not so clear is why they choose to leave them for Wake Up Now. When you look at the Wake Up Now compensation plan, which we did later, it actually says in there how many members are making a small profit. 4%. That's it. And those 4% are not making a living, just an average of about $600 a month. The number of people making anything close to resembling a living is about 1%. Those are the company's numbers. If they're accurate, presumably 95% of the people chanting in this conference room weren't making any profit whatsoever. This is the beginning of the main event, what was billed as a business presentation that stretched on for nearly five hours, with more than a dozen speakers. A lot of it was about how to recruit people into Wake Up Now. I should say, officially the company doesn't use the word recruit, but there's no other way to describe what we saw. It was about recruiting. Like this advice from a guy named Rob McFadden. He said that on the day you launch your Wake Up Now business, You set up a conference call at 10 a.m. You invite everybody you know to be on that call. On that call, all you tell them is, I'm launching. We're going nuts. I can't even tell you what we're doing. I have a call scheduled at noon. Who's going to be on it? The next step was to get each person on the 10 a.m. call to bring 10 more people with them to the noon call, and then to do the exact same thing over again for a 2 o'clock call, all with no mention of what the business actually is. After all, People care more about how you say something than anything you ever say. The fact that they called this event a business presentation was strange, because there was so little actual business discussed. So much of it was just motivational speeches. And you being here today, I got to give you props because you get it. 
you get it. You're changing lives. You're starting a movement. You don't got a dream. You don't have a roadmap. You don't have a roadmap. You ain't taking a trip. See, what is it that drives you? Is it feeding starving kids? Is it making a difference in this world? I saw a vision to help people. I saw a vision to change the world. You have the ability to speak life or death into people. Wake Up Now is speaking life. This was the aspect of the conference that we really struggled to make sense of. The contrast between this vision of Wake Up Now changing the world, speaking life into people, and the reality of what it seemed like Wake Up Now was actually doing, which is selling energy drinks and giving people discounts on random stuff. Now, product announcements, guys, it wouldn't be This crystallized during the single most confusing moment of the conference, the big announcement they made in between inspirational speeches. The company's marketing director, Jordan Harris, took the stage. Nobody else outside this room knows anything about what we're about to talk about. And what he went on to talk about was coupons. Wake Up Now members have access to coupons that they can print out and use to get money off at local businesses. How many of you guys have smartphones? Okay, pull out your smartphones real quick. How cool would it be if instead of having to print the coupon, you just showed your smartphone? The big announcement was that you no longer had to print the coupons out. You could now just use a smartphone app. Let's talk about when it's going to launch. Okay, it's going to be available two weeks. What do you think? I think we can do better. Let's just do it today. After this, Brian and I had to check with each other. We honestly weren't sure if we had missed something. This excitement was over coupons? The MC couldn't even move on with the presentation after this because everyone was so overwhelmed. Wow. That is, I'm, I'm beside myself. I know you're all looking. It's okay. Take your time. Wow. All right. We're all catching our breath. It's okay. Yeah, day might as well be over for some of you. We left the conference not sure what to think of what we'd witnessed. But the fact that people were talking about quitting their jobs to do Wake Up Now, when the chances of making any kind of living were so low, that seemed alarming. And to our surprise, when we interviewed Wake Up Now's chief marketing officer, Jordan Harris, the guy who made the coupon announcement, he said that isn't meant to be the company's message. They don't want everyone quitting their jobs. There's an element of any live event like we have where sometimes people get up there and they, they get excited and, you know, you, 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 there's things that you would rather have them not say. Our, our standard advice for people, you should be replacing your income for at least three to four months consistently through Wake Up Now before you consider it. So on Wake Up Now's income disclosure statement, it says that 4% of members make a profit. Do you think most people who are doing Wake Up Now as a business know that number? Uh, I think no question that is 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 so widely disseminated. Uh, it, it you know you can go pull. You, you guys did I, like I don't think you mentioned it aloud at the conference. Uh, yeah, we we don't mention it aloud, but it's like it is why not on our website on every. Uh, it, 
the the you know in a conference when you're, you're out there talking to them, uh, it, it it didn't come up. We're we're at a conference. We're trying to have high energy. We're we're there to have a lot of fun. You know, that's not something that is pitched from stage. But we make sure that everybody is aware of it. I don't know if you saw on to stage left, uh, there was an income disclosure statement on the wall. It was in the booklet that everybody got. So everybody left with that income disclosure statement in their hand. We don't want people joining with the idea that, hey, you promised me if I joined, I would make you know this amount. That's, that's not what we care about. We care about changing your financial situation from the products. And if you'd like to supplement it by making money, you have an opportunity. We told Jordan this wasn't the measured message we left the conference with. Instead, in a room where less than 1% was making any real money from Wake Up Now, we heard speakers spinning a fantasy of enormous wealth, infinity pools, trips to Cancun, one speaker had the crowd shout out their favorite fancy cars, Maseratis and Porsches. Jordan understood why we got this impression, but he says that's not what Wake Up Now is really about. He says their company was built around the idea of helping people make an extra five or $600 a month, and that they chose that number deliberately. Uh, because, you know, we looked at the statistics and the majority of bankruptcies could, could avoid it if they had $500 more per month. And so really, if we can get a ton of people that are earning five to $600 a month, then for us, that's our sweet spot. We're not encouraging people to, to just walk away from their own personal income. We're just trying to be something in the middle that helps it be easier every single month. Right. But from being at the conference, it just it just se- does seem like the like the messages are not that they're not. We want to help you live an easier life every month with supplemental income and financial management. The message is much more like your life is unsatisfactory. You are a slave to some job. You don't have your own freedom. And this is the answer to that. The reality of the message I think people are getting is not what you just said. And does that concern you? It, yeah, it it. it, it we we want to unify the message from corporate. Like I said, I think you guys caught us right in the the the, the spike of our growth, where there were so many people that were involved in Wake Up Now uh, that we didn't necessarily have as good as communication from corporate as we could have. But we, we're a different company than we were eight months ago. The conference we went to was in April. Jordan says the company had grown four thousand percent over the previous year, and they were scrambling to deal with that expansion. Wake Up Now, by the way, was only founded in two thousand nine. Since April, Jordan says they're running a tighter ship. They recently replaced their CEO. They're rewriting some of their introductory literature, downplaying the recruiting side of things. And they've changed what they say at their events. He says Wake Up Now has never been intentionally vague, but he thinks we were not unique in our confusion. And that's one of the things they're trying to fix. A couple weeks ago, we talked to a guy who studies companies like Wake Up Now. Amway and Herbalife and other network marketing companies. And he said when reporters talk about them, they usually focus on the money people spend on them, but rarely discuss the part he considers more troubling and more destructive, what it does to members' personal relationships. This guy's name is Robert L. Fitzpatrick, and he used a word to describe Wake Up Now that may sound hyperbolic. The word was cult, except not a religious cult. It's an economic cult. That's the distinction that I think you may be grasping for when you say, what is this thing? Robert Fitzpatrick says it's not an accident that it took us so long to figure out what Wake Up Now is, that the videos all seem so vague, and the website was so confusing about pricing and products when we signed up as a member. He says vagueness is part of a strategy companies use. Robert became interested in network marketing after he and some friends got caught up years ago in the frenzy of recruiting people into a gifting scheme. And he says the most disturbing thing about it was how it manipulated their thinking, made them suspend critical judgment. 
so he spent years researching how network marketing companies work. A regular business, Robert says, doesn't try to tell people how to treat their friends and family, which we saw wake up now. The intention to isolate you from other people who are not in the scheme. You, you are told to shun doubters, critics, even if they're in your family. And then when you go around your friends and they, and they get uncomfortable, like, you bugging. Guess what? You know who to walk away from. You know who to walk away from because they can't understand your language. They won't be able to understand your language. Dream big. Dream big. So isolation. And, and the other is a certain requirement of blind faith and obedience. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to question. Critical thinking is for losers. You will see it when you believe it. This industry, wrong. This business, no. This profession, this profession rewards one thing. It rewards belief. How many of you believe you are a global sitting in that chair right now? Global is the highest earning level in the company, the level Seymour Green is. That guy literally just dropped the mic, by the way. We asked Wake Up Now's chief marketing officer, Jordan Harris, if the company is a cult. And no surprise here, he says that's an unfair characterization. He says he interprets those moments from the conference differently than Robert Fitzpatrick does. Wake Up Now's not trying to isolate members from their family, he says. But if someone's being negative about your work, he thinks it is good advice not to hang around them. And what's wrong with believing in what you do? Look, if you're going to do anything, you better believe that you can you can do it before you start. I think that that is a universal truth. But to to portray it as the only way to be successful is to believe hard enough, I would much rather have him preface that with that it, it, is, it is not enough to succeed. It, you've got to have the hard work and you've got to have the talent to be successful. At the conference, everyone was so amped up. It was hard to get a sense of what it was really like to do Wake Up Now, day in and day out. So we found someone who'd gone all in on Wake Up Now, who'd quit his job to dedicate himself to it. A guy with a wife and three young kids, who recently stopped working in the kitchen of a really nice restaurant to do Wake Up Now. His name is Damian Lax. He's 29 years old. We went to visit him at his apartment in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Damian grew up in a rough part of Baltimore. He was a charismatic kid, a good athlete who did well in school, But he got into drugs, dropped out, and did some time in jail. By the time he was 24, he was living in a halfway house in Gettysburg, where he moved to get away from the city and working at a McDonald's. I didn't know what I wanted to do with life. I just, just, at the same time, though, this might sound strange to some people. Even back then, even since I was 10 years old, I've known that I was supposed to do something great. Now I ain't saying it to both. I just am giving... Praise to God because that's who he made me. I haven't always lived up to it. I've been terrible at living up to it. After McDonald's, Damien worked in kitchens at a couple of pubs in town, then landed at a TJI Fridays. But Damien was bored there. The district manager would walk in. He wouldn't speak to the little guys on the line. I I hated that feeling, feeling like I'm a little guy and that the big guys who are already making $100,000 a year, when you come around, you don't even have the decency to say, hey, how are you guys doing in here? You know, we hot, we sweating, we busting our ass. Excuse me. Um, 
you don't really care about nothing but how the restaurant is running and how much money we're making. You don't care about the people at all. It makes you feel low. No, I hated that. I hated it. In other words, it was a J-O-B. So he applied to one of the best restaurants in the area, a place called Restaurant Sydney, founded by a chef he admired. Damien was taking online culinary classes. He had dreams of becoming a sous chef, of one day opening his own restaurant. So when Sydney hired him, he was thrilled. What were your expectations going in there? The highest level of chefness. I don't know a better word. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't all the way like that. <laughs> when it came down to it, working in the kitchen at restaurant Sydney was still just working in a kitchen. His coworkers grumbled, told offensive jokes to pass the time. They didn't seem inspired. And Damien was only making 10 bucks an hour. After babysitters and gas, Sydney is 25 minutes from his house. Damien says his pay was basically a wash. He kept asking for a raise, but wasn't getting one. And that's when an Instagram friend sent Damien some of the YouTube videos about Wake Up Now. Just like us, he says he'd never seen anything like them before. Unlike us, though, his reaction was... The video she sent me was so inspiring. It went from being the lowest paid person in my family to now the highest residual income earner in my family. We asked Damien what about the videos spoke to him. And what it came down to was the positivity. It was a bunch of young people, and in particular young black people, succeeding as entrepreneurs. They were working for themselves, in total control of their own destiny. What are you doing in your job? <laughs> <laughs> to me it was nostalgic. It took me back to that place when I was a kid. You, you dream about where you want to be in your life, and it's like, that, that's right. That's right. That's what I wanted my life to be. That's right. I'm going after that. Thank you for reminding me. This is my calling right here. Damien began reading Wake Up Now's literature obsessively. He went on a vacation with his family, and he says the whole time he couldn't tear himself away. He compares it to reading scripture. The company's quick start guide includes a whole section called Your Thoughts Can Change the Future. Damien loved that. It talks about feeding yourself positive ideas and filtering out the negative, not hanging around negative people. After that, every dirty joke his coworkers made felt like it was poisoning his mind. Then, after weeks of asking for a raise, his boss told him he wouldn't be getting one. Not long after, Damien quit Restaurant Sydney and devoted himself to Wake Up Now. When we visited Damien, he'd been doing Wake Up Now for four months. Here's what a typical workday looks like for him. He wakes up and helps get his two boys off to school, and once they're off, he usually dials into a 10 a.m. motivational group call. But most of the day, he watches his baby daughter. While she's napping, he spends a few hours poking around on the computer, watching YouTube videos about how to present Wake Up Now to people, and then just kind of being on Facebook. If he starts to feel down, he'll watch an uplifting video. Early on, he tried calling every contact in his phone to tell them about Wake Up Now. That yielded exactly one Wake Up Now recruit. My mom. His mom. After four months, she's still the only recruit he has, which means he's not making any income. And in fact, he's paying 100 bucks a month to be part of Wake Up Now. What are you going to do if another four months go by and you still haven't gotten, gotten anyone and aren't making any money and you're spending money to be in it? Um... 
That's a hard question because I honestly know that it's going to work. We spent a lot of time debating with Damien about this. It was nearly impossible to get him to even entertain the hypothetical of Wake Up Now not working. If a year goes by and you haven't made any money with Wake Up Now or network marketing, would you be disappointed? No. I would just keep going. Think about that. A year has gone by with no success. Right. Would you be you wouldn't feel any kind of way about that? A year gone by in network marketing is successful. Think about doctors and lawyers. They go to school for four years, eight years before they actually reach the time when they can get paid for what they've been training for. Damien knows the stats that just one percent of Wake Up Now members make Absolutely. a living. He actually pointed the numbers out to us on his own. But it's almost as if those dismal statistics made Damien even more optimistic about his prospects. I have the persistence to become in the 1%, in the less than 1%. As it says, results are not typical. Well, I say I'm not typical. And the thing about it is more people could be successful, but more people don't have the desire. They're not going to put in the work. And if you tell yourself it's too hard, then it's going to be too hard. Well, what if it's not the fact that you're telling yourself that something's really hard, but that it just is really hard. Like, that is the reality. It, the chances of making money are low. And so when someone's telling themselves that it's hard, they're right. It's only hard if you believe it's hard. We thought that one person who might be silently freaking out about this was Damien's wife, Candace. Candace has a full-time job managing a store at the nearby outlet mall and is now the sole breadwinner in their family of five. They have two kids, a baby and an eight-year-old, and just became the legal guardians of a third child, a 12-year-old who neither is related to, the son of one of Damien's ex-girlfriends. So he took Candace aside, out of Damien's earshot, to ask how she was dealing with the pressure of providing for three kids, while Damien didn't have a job and wasn't bringing in any money with Wake Up Now. I'm not as stressed out. (laughs) I have a lot more help around the house. So my days off, I actually can enjoy instead of, like, having mounds of laundry to do. (laughs) So, like, it's really helped us as a family unit. This is not the answer we were expecting. But Candace likes her job, and she says that her income is enough to support the family without Damien earning money. She says they're not in financial trouble at all. When Damien had restaurant gigs where he worked long, erratic hours, she and the kids would sometimes go days without seeing him. Now that Damien has left the restaurant industry for Wake Up Now, Candace says her kids get to be raised by their father. And it's great because with us adding on another child, like, you know, getting that child in a routine and working on his homework because he's behind, so he needs a lot more help and attention with schoolwork and stuff. It's beneficial right now with, you know, the dynamics of our family. And Damien's been able to do that with him? Absolutely. He cooks, he does homework, he cleans. So I'm very thankful for that. It's 3.30 in the afternoon on a Thursday, and Damien's greeting his boys, Damien Jr. and Leonte, as they get off the school bus. He asks them about their day, explains who these weird radio reporters are in their apartment, and then they get to homework. You have to work on your project. All right. Yeah, right. Dude, By the way, it's due tomorrow. Leonte has to present a biography of Bruce Lee. I thought he was Chinese. I thought so too, Pooch. Maybe I don't know what's going on. Let's find out. He's Chinese and half German. 
Oh, Chinese and half German. Oh, you said American and German first. Oh. Yeah, that's a big difference. Okay, so just remember that tomorrow. Both Damien and Candace say, without hesitation, that if Damien never makes a dime from Wake Up Now, it still will have been the best move he could have made for their family. Bianca Gaver and Brian Reed. A few weeks after they visited Damien, he decided to put Wake Up Now on pause. He is no longer a member. He says he's not paying money every month. He wanted to make some money for the holidays, went back to work at TGI Fridays, where he's now a waiter, which he says he likes a lot more than working in the kitchen. Coming up, a rich guy tries to wake up other rich guys about the issue of how rich certain rich guys are getting. That's in a minute from Chicago Public Radio, when our program continues. This is American Life from Ira Glass. Each week on our program, of course, we choose a theme today with people making resolutions for how this new year will be different from the previous one. Our show is Wake Up Now. I hope you notice how classy we're keeping it here on the show by not inserting alarm clock sound every time I say those words. Wake Up Now. Stories of people trying to wake themselves up or wake up others. We've arrived at Act 2 of our program, Act 2, Board Games. So there's this thing that comes up in the news pretty regularly, CEO pay. When it comes up, rarely is it good for the CEOs. Usually the point is that CEOs are overpaid, something needs to be done. If you figure that most people work 40 or 50 years in their work lives, it would take a typical worker four or five lifetimes to earn what the CEOs of large companies earn in a single year. So you hear statistics like that in these stories, but what you almost never hear is anybody actually trying to cut the pay of a CEO. Well, David Kestenbaum and Jacob Goldstein of NPR's Planet Money found a guy who tried to wake people up to the fact that the CEO of one small company seemed to be making way too much money. It takes an unusual person to wage a war against the CEO and his pay. The odds of success are just so low. And Tim Stabos was definitely an outsider. He lived in a small town, Laporte, Indiana, in a small house. We went to visit. In the dining room, there's a broken Dungeons & Dragons pinball machine. Tim tried to fix it. Here it is, yeah. You know, sad. I made a boo-boo when I fried out the uh, displays. It was just a disaster. <laughs> when Tim got out of college, he got a government job and tried his hand at the stock market on the side. He used a computer to pick out stocks he thought were undervalued. He still has that computer. And just so you have the right image in your head, this is the kind of computer you'd find sitting out on the sidewalk. It's got a floppy disk drive. When you turn it on, it just goes beep. That's the dot matrix printer. Over the years, Tim did well in the stock market. Really well. Well enough that he was never going to have to work a regular job again. Sometime in the mid-90s, Tim came across this one company. He'd end up investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in its stock. It was a small company based on Long Island called P&F Industries. It made pneumatic tools. You could actually buy them at Home Depot. Have you ever used one of the tools? I don't believe so, no. Tim just liked the company's numbers. It was a small company where you could understand everything about it. PNF seemed like a good deal. But over the years, something began to gnaw at him. The salary of the CEO, Richard Horowitz. Roughly one and a half million dollars a year total compensation. Is that a lot? One and a half million is uh, outrageous and outlandish. Tim looked around at similar companies, some in the same industry, some in the same geographic area, and he couldn't find any where the CEO was paid even half of what Horowitz made. Now, if you just own a few shares of a company's stock and you think the CEO is overpaid, there isn't much you can do. 
But if you own more, well, that's different. And by the fall of 2009, Tim owned 180,000 shares. I came to own 5%. 5% of the whole company. 5% of the entire company. His stake was worth more than half a million dollars. And it turned out Tim had an ally in this fight, a guy with a little more experience, a guy who ran a hedge fund. I'm Andrew Shapiro. I'm president and portfolio manager of Lawndale Capital Management. Andrew also owned a big chunk of the company, about 8%. He and Tim didn't work together directly. They had very different styles. Andrew was a by-the-book investor, fond of semi-obscure military illusions. We deploy, with what we do, we deploy what I call the Powell Doctrine of Investments. And I try to take on targets where I can mount overwhelming force. For years, Andrew had been arguing that the CEO was grossly overpaid. Over one 10-year period, he says, Richard Horowitz took home $13.5 million. That's more than twice what the entire company made in profits over that time. Sometimes when people complain about CEO pay, they talk about it as if the money's coming out of the pockets of ordinary workers. That is not how Tim and Andrew see it. Every dollar the CEO gets is a dollar less profit, a dollar less for Tim and Andrew and all the other stockholders. The overpaid CEO is taking money out of the share owner's pocket. You're not in it because, hey, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it feel great if CEOs weren't paid so much more than everyone else? I, I, am, I am doing this to make a return on our capital. This is why if you think CEOs are overpaid rich guys, your best hope for changing things may be other rich guys. Rich guys with enough money to buy up a bunch of stock and take on the company to try and cut the CEO's pay in hopes of becoming even richer themselves. We, of course, wanted to know what the CEO, Richard Horowitz, had to say about all this. We tried to get him. We had a bunch of talks with the company's lawyer. In the end, Horowitz declined to be interviewed. But because this is a public company, there are plenty of recordings of him. Public companies have what are called quarterly earnings calls for investors, really anyone who wants to listen. Good day, everyone. Thank you all for holding today's conference. We'll begin with a presentation and then a question. The operator starts the call, and then here is the man himself, Richard Horowitz. Uh, Firstly... Uh, I'm pleased to report that the company's revenue from continuing operations were $14,164,000. I've listened to a lot of earnings calls like this over the years. Usually they are incredibly dull. Analysts from big banks asking super specific things about the company's balance sheet. But remember, PNF is a small company. And on some of these calls, there are only two people phoning in with questions. Two people who feel the CEO is grossly overpaid. Andrew and Tim. They get to ask the CEO whatever they want. Here's one exchange. Thank you. Our next question is from Timothy Stabos. Your line Tim is, is asking about this key thing that's used to determine a CEO's salary. It's called a compensation study. It looks at what CEOs at comparable companies are earning. PNF Industries had hired an external firm to do one of these reports, and Tim wanted details. So we're still waiting on a report from that outside firm, right? I can't tell you. I, I don't know what the comp committee. I mean... I don't. I'm, I can't answer that question. I, I don't have the knowledge to answer that question. Okay. I'm not, um, being, I'm not being evasive. I just don't know the answer, Tim. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, you know that there's a firm that we've certainly announced that there's a firm that's doing an analysis, right? I can't. I don't know. Does anyone in that room know? Does, 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 it's, it's does not, the attorney, not the attorney for the company know? And uh, Tim, I can't comment any further. And this is a Q2 conference call. Q2 means second quarter. We're talking about the results of Q2. Well, please, 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 Tim, 
And Andrew, anybody else, please let's keep the comments to the Q2 count the numbers. Thank you. Well, that's fine, but executive salaries are relevant to the future profitability and, and whatnot. I can't comment any further, Tim. Any other questions about the Q2? Well, it would have been helpful if you would have simply said we're not going to talk about executive compensation, period, because that's what you're essentially saying, right? Any other questions about Q2, Tim? I'll get back in Q. I'm frustrated right now, Richard. Okay, you'll have Thank you. Our next question is from Andrew Shapiro. Your line is open. There are a lot of calls like this. A CEO's salary is set by a company's board of directors. And Shapiro suspected Richard Horowitz had packed the board with his cronies, with people who paid him more than he deserved. So Andrew hired a private detective and did some digging himself. He discovered that, in fact, several board members played golf at the same country club as the CEO. Uh, the Glen Oaks Country Club of Westbury, New York. Glen Oaks Country Club of Old Westbury, New York. Nothing illegal or maybe even surprising about these guys belonging to the same country club. Still, what would General Colin Powell do? He'd get them off the board. Andrew suggested several potential new board members. And Tim? Tim nominated himself. Getting new people on a board is tough. There's a vote, but in most cases, the existing board members get to decide who's on the ballot. It's as if members of Congress were the ones who decided who got to run for Congress. So Tim and Andrew went to the company's annual meeting to try to convince the board to put their candidates on the ballot. It was the first time Andrew Shapiro and Richard Horowitz, the CEO, had met in person. It actually was quite crowded. Every seat in the table was full and there was... Um, the paid-for uh, advisors standing around the uh, periphery of the table outside, uh, you know, in the room, but uh, along the wall. Where was the CEO? Oh, he's sitting directly across the table from me. Oh, it must be awkward. What's it like? Oh, it's not awkward or not. It's all, you know, I, I, I go into these rooms with the, the distinct view that I am an owner of this business and you members of the board of directors are my agents and you work for me. You don't work for Mr. Horowitz. You don't work for management. Management works for you, the board, and the board, you work for me and all of the other shareholders. The board did not seem immediately swayed by this argument. And it's easy to imagine how this whole thing might feel on the other side. If you're, say, Richard Horowitz, the CEO, You've got two guys who have never even worked in the tool business telling you how they think the business that your father built up should be run and how much you should be paid and who should be on your board. For Tim Stabos, what had started out as a rational investment, something just based on numbers, had become emotional. It had become something hard to let go of. At some point in this whole fight, Tim's letters to the company took on a different tone. He got rid of the lawyer who'd been vetting them. Some of the letters start to have words in all caps. Some start to feel weirdly intimate. One is addressed just to Richard and uses phrases like, I was at the end of my rope, and goodness knows I tried a different course. And then, in the summer of 2010, more than a decade after Tim first bought stock in PNF Industries, something finally went his way. There was a change on the board. The two guys who played golf at the same country club as the CEO stepped down from the committee that set the CEO's pay. Also, one of the people Andrew had recommended for the board got put on the ballot and elected. And a year and a half later, if you haven't noticed, this is an incredibly long process, it finally happened. The thing that almost never happens. The board of PNF did what Andrew and Tim wanted. They cut Richard Horowitz's base salary. 
by a lot, from $975,000 to $650,000, a cut of over $300,000. It actually made the news, at least a little corner of the news, an article in a publication called Institutional Investor. An expert in that article said it was the first time he'd ever seen shareholders get aboard to cut the pay of a sitting CEO. Tim Stabos, of course, was elated about the pay cut. Well, it felt fantastic. It felt great. It felt like um, I had served to affect this change, that I was an agent of change. That feeling did not last. It turns out that new contract also made it easier for Richard Horowitz to get a bigger bonus. And in 2012, even though Horowitz's base pay had been cut, he actually ended up making more money than he had the previous year. And then earlier this year, Richard Horowitz got a raise. The board boosted his base pay by $50,000. And they also raised the bonus percentages so he'd be able to earn even more on the bonus. The company only let us talk to one person on its side of things. But it was someone we definitely wanted to hear from. The board member that Andrew Shapiro had recommended. We met him one afternoon at a business club at the top of a tall building in Philadelphia. His name is Howard Brownstein. And he told us he thinks Richard Horowitz's pay is reasonable. Uh, Yeah, I, I would say to you that based on the work that the comp committee did as they reported it to us and as we listened to it, that the compensation is within the realm of reasonableness for our company and how it's doing and the money we make for the shareholders. We asked Brownstein about that compensation study that Tim asked about on the conference call, the study that compares Richard Horowitz's pay to the CEOs of other companies. And we read Brownstein this letter Tim wrote asking the board to release details from the report. Ask is probably the wrong word. Tim writes, I demand in all caps. And then at the end, also in caps, I have waited long enough. I am done waiting. Well, you know, Mr. Stabos obviously has been able to find the caps lock key on his typewriter. Um, Look, generally in in my world, when somebody demands something, it's because they have a legal right to it. He may say he demands it, but the fact is he doesn't have a right to it. So what he really is, what, what he really meant when he said I demand it is I really, really want it. I get it. It's okay. You can't have it. Next. He's one of the owners of the company, right? Sure he is, but... The owners of the company only have the rights that they have, the rights the law gives them. It doesn't give them more than that. Since PNF wouldn't release that study, we asked a company that analyzes CEO compensation to take a look. The company is called Equilar. They do a lot of work for companies who are trying to figure out how much to pay their CEOs. Here is what Equilar found. Among roughly 200 companies of similar size, Richard Horowitz's pay ranked near the very top. In the top 7%, more than twice the average. Equilar also looked at a smaller group of companies that, like PNF, are in what's called the industrial goods sector. There were 13 companies in that group. The top paid CEO was Richard Horowitz. In other words, according to the study, Richard Horowitz is one of the highest paid or the highest paid CEO for what he does. Tim Stabos lost. But he had owned shares in PNF for most of his adult life. And when you've been in something that long, it can be hard to know when to walk away. What happens next? Are you going to keep at this? It's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, want, I want the company to know that um, I'm not going anywhere. Do you, do you ever think about giving up? Um... No. Um, really? 
Well, I mean, what, I, I'm trying to think what giving up means. I can tell you what giving up looks like. After we talked to Tim this summer, he had a momentary cash crunch. He had to sell all his shares. The company bought them from him. And as part of the deal, Tim promised not to buy any shares of PNF Industries for three years. It turns out it's really hard to cut a CEO's pay, even if you own 5% of the company. Now he has even less power to do anything about it. Now, Tim Stabos is just like everybody else. Jacob Goldstein and David Kestenbaum from the NPR podcast Planet Money, the very entertaining podcast about economics. Get it for free at npr.org slash money or wherever you get your podcasts. Big boss man Don't you hear me when I call Oh yeah Sleep no more. Okay, so to end today's program about waking up, let's leave the world of metaphor completely, okay? So we're not talking about waking up to a new way of seeing the world or waking up to the things you need to do to change your life or waking up other people to the issue of overpaid CEOs or whatever issue. I'm talking about just waking up, just waking up pure and simple. That shouldn't be hard, right? You do it every day. Springfield, Oregon, Monday morning during finals week, 7.30. Morgan Peach, a grad student, hears the alarm that's supposed to wake him up, and he shuts it off. This happens again at 7.35. And again at 7.40. Once more at 7.45. You get the idea. 8.15, 8.25, finally 9 o'clock, his girlfriend, Angela Evansy, who made this recording, steps in. It's time. It's time. It's time. Right. He doesn't get up. Besides an exam, he has two research papers to turn in and 55 exams and papers to grade. Angela sees him struggle every day with waking up, but she thought this week, this week for once, he would do it when the alarm sounds because he has so much to do. Tuesday, it goes off first at 7.30, then seven more times, 7.40, 7.45, 8 o'clock, 8.05, 8.10, 8.15, 8.20. Wednesday, pretty much the same deal. At some point, Angela says to her sleeping boyfriend, Have you set the alarm for 9 o'clock? Yes, I did. Can you afford to sleep in that late? Certainly can. I'm wealthy in time, not in money. People can be surprisingly articulate when they're barely awake sometimes. Wednesday night, Morgan tells Angela that the next morning, Thursday, he actually is going to have to get up. A geography paper is due at noon. Yeah, could you set the alarm for 7.30 tomorrow? I'd like to get up at 7.30 and work on my research papers and finish them. So, next morning... Sometime near 10 a.m., they finally have this conversation. It's time to get up. That's what you always say. And then, still lying in bed, he explains the whole thing perfectly. It would be impossible to say this better. It's almost as if 
The sleeping is that much sweeter. You have to get up. Or you think you have to get up. And then you don't. Our program is produced today by Jonathan Menhivar with Sean Cole, Stephanie Fu, Hannah Joffrey Waltz, Sarah Koenig, Mickey Meek, Brian Reed, Robin Semi, and Alyssa Ship, and Nancy Updike. Our senior producers, Julie Snyder. Production help from J.P. Dukes. Seth Lind is our operations director. Emily Condon is our production manager. Elise Bergerson is our office manager. Adrian Mathewitz runs our website. Editing help today from Joel Lovell. Research help from Christopher Suatala and Benjamin Anastas. Music help from Damian Grave. Thanks today to Nina Berman and Gilad Lotan, who gave the presentation at Columbia University that Bianca gave her saw about Wake Up Now. Thanks also to Truth in Advertising, Starley Kine, and Mark Phillips. Our website, thisamericanlife.org. Our spinoff program, Serial, serialpodcast.org. This American Life is delivered to public radio stations by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. Thanks, as always, to our program's co-founder, Mr. Tori Malatia. This is what he said to the crowd immediately after Peter Sagal dropped by the WBEZ Christmas party for five minutes. Wow. All right. We're all catching our breath. It's okay. Yeah, day might as well be over for some of you. I'm Eric Glass. Back next week with more stories of This American Life. Oh, wake up now.